There, my name is Maria Lewis, and I'm the host of Josie and the Podcasts, a six part limited podcast series about the 2001 cult classic Josie and the Pussycat. And golly, I'm producer Blake. <laughs> Every fucking time I open this show, you always have something to say, okay? Well, you, I'll just cold open it next time. <laughs> fucking ungrateful prick. This is not the way I wanted to start our last episode. This is exactly the way On I wanted to start. On with the show. I am Blake Howard. Uh, Welcome to the very last bonus episode of Josie and the Podcast and the very last episode of our entire series. That's Josie the, and the last, podcast. last one. Like for, for reals, he's for last. For reals, yeah. No Michael Myers bringing back up it's at the end of back. it. Yeah, it's double tap back. that shit. It's an incredible, it's been an incredible journey. It's been so epic and you've done such an amazing job. And I so know, have you, buddy. No, yeah. Well, Let's whatever. hold hands. No, I'm not going to touch you. Um, but <laughs> <laughs> Probably wise. Hashtag ISO. <laughs> Hashtag ISO life. But um, you've done an incredible job and it's been an honour to sit across from you and watch you work. It's really, really special. And I, I know that uh, I'm one of those newer fans of this fan base and I think that anyone who loves this movie and loved it and built extremely dangerous fire unsafe shrines in their house uh, to this movie <laughs> would be absolutely adoring this. And so I just want to say congrats because it's just awesome. Oh, well, congrats to everybody who listened. <laughs> no, I, don't <laughs> I don't know how to take praise. I can't take compliments. I can't take praise. Um, I struggle with those things. We'll get back <laughs> to the fucking script. Oh, my fucking God. You started this. <laughs> Cut this shit out. Fucking. It's staying oh, in. I hate you so much. Oh, I love you. No. Um, all right. <laughs> yeah, so this is officially it, though. Once this episode is over, we're metaphorically plowing into a Metallica concert just like Dijon. <laughs> metaphorically, of course. Of course. And so on our last major episode, the one just before this, we talked about the unlikely legacy Josie and the Pussycats ended up having after nearly 20 years of, you know, flopping kind of ungracefully at the box office in 2001. And even though that happened, it became a cult film and developed this frost enduring fan base and because it had bombed during its original theatrical run there had never really been a victory lap for the movie per se even the premiere in los angeles which usually fills that role wasn't the celebration it should have been. hey hey anthony stewart head was there in person okay with his daughters and keith sutherland <laughs> was there wearing pussycat ears have some fucking respect respect respect, the respect. Neck. but the reason it wasn't this big frothy celebration was because writers and directors Deb Kaplan and Harry Alfon, along with the Universal execs, had seen the stats. They knew how the movie was tracking and that wasn't well. So for a huge chunk of time, Everyone involved with the project thought this movie had swung and missed, and that was that. The cult following was building and bubbling and frothing away, something they didn't fully begin to understand the extent of until social media became a proper tool. Someone who did know, however, was Moshe Fik, record label manager at Mondo Records and one of Josie and the Pussycats' biggest fans. A legend. I had, I had a sneaking suspicion that there was a pretty quiet fan base for the film you know it had been bubbling up in the surface maybe not so much in australia maybe there it's it's a little bit more active of a scene but here um it's it's a true guilty pleasure and you know, in my at my company we we traffic in cult classics right but the the idea of the cult classic at least here in the states is a very gendered one 
you know, you talk about your like sci-fi shooting up, shoot 'em ups, you know, your like, you know, alien movies and horror slasher films, obscure seventies exploitation films. So Mo, Rage and Josie and the Pussycats fan that he is, and lover of the soundtrack, led a push at Mondo to release the first ever vinyl pressing of the soundtrack. The reissue featured a 12-page booklet of never-before-seen behind-the-scenes photos, all-new liner notes by Emma Garland from Noisy, fresh interviews with the creative team, and to celebrate this release, Mondo staged a massive live reunion of not just the cast of the film, not just the filmmakers, but the musical talent as well, including Letters to Cleo's Kay Hanley, Ooh. the late great Adam Schlesinger legend, from legend, Fountains legend. of Wayne, and more. So on September 26, 2017, just over 16 years after the movie came out, Mondo and Alamo Drafthouse hosted this epic Josie and the Pussycats reunion at the Ace Hotel in Los Angeles that sold the fuck out. <laughs> at my company, I have a, a co-worker who is um, 15 years older than me and a bit of a goth and, uh, you know, someone who uh, specializes in the, you know, video nasties in the UK and, and all these things. And he happened to be in town for this event. And he, every step of the way, he was like, this is something that I have no, I have no concept of, right? Like he felt like 10 steps removed. When I checked in with him at the end of the night, he was like, people were crying when they were buying the record. And there was people who were like in costume and doing all the things. And it was just, that was the vibe, right? Like I was, it was so high energy. Everyone was losing their minds. And then for, for me, I only got reports of it secondhand because I was just so in it. Um, but I remember uh, getting the download from everyone who was on the ground and they were all just sort of like, what the hell? Like, like how did no one know that this existed? For folks like Kay Hanley, who'd had a lot of other shit going on in the intervening years, it was her first, first-hand experience of how beloved Josie and the Pussycats have become. Here's Kay. Oh, boy. That was, it was wild. I mean, I had, I had, I really did not know that that was, that the, that the movie and the soundtrack had become so beloved that we would sell out the whatever that room was. I mean, just a huge theater and people singing along to every single word. It was, it was nuts. And, um, and being with like Deb and Harry and, and I was really like, I, I thought it was going to be about the actors as it should be. Um, I didn't know, you know, I sat on the panel kind of at the last minute and, or was invited to sit on the panel discussion at the last minute and was really like kind of, you know, really moved that, that people wanted to ask about that on top of asking, um, you know, Rachel and Tara and Rosario about their experiences. It was really, it was, it, it was, 
it was awesome. People showed up to the theatre in costume, dressed as Fiona, of course, because if you can dress up as anyone, dress up as Fiona. <laughs> dressed as Dejour, dressed as the Cabots, dressed as Josie, Melanie, Valerie. The whole experience was quite simply mind-blowing for the writers and directors, Deborah Kaplan and Harry Elfont, not to mention star Rachel Lee Cook. Here they are. I got really more excited watching Kay from The Wings start singing, um, when she started singing You Don't See Me and she cried while she was singing the song, I cried. I was like, this is so, it's so meaningful on so many levels because she never really went out there as the face of the music and it's some of her best work and she got no attention for it really until all this time later and this whole crowd of people were singing every single note of the song with her it was really really lovely yeah it was super gratifying like after all this time to have a and they may have been the only thousand people but it was amazing just that energy people were so excited along with the movie yeah and we had never that band had never played live like going to like early screening of rocky horror like when people really enjoyed it yeah and we missed most of the screening actually yeah because we were kind of just all buzzing downstairs after the concert yeah mo had a sneaky surprise in store for not just the audience but for harry deb and particularly rachel and tara reed as well that rosario moment um was one of the most wild experiences of my life. Far as they knew, Rosaria Dawson was in New York. She wasn't supposed to be in town, but she was. She landed at LAX secretly and headed straight to the event, arriving on stage to surprise not just the hundreds of folks in attendance, but Harry, Deb, Rachel, Tara, Missy Pyle, Gabrielle, Mann, Kay, Adam, everyone else who was there as well. It was the first time all three of the Pussycats had been reunited since 2001. Chills. Oh, and, B- and Rosario showed up. Yes. With n- none of us knew that she was coming. You may have known. I did not know. <laughs> I, was like, I was shocked when she came out. And it was the first time the three of us had, that all of us had been in the same room years. since yeah. the movie came out. Yeah, ever since we didn't ask for it anyway. So it was super, super mm-hmm. fun. I wish that I had been in the theater for longer, but Tara wanted to go to the bar and um, she wanted me to meet the guy who she was dating that week. So I was there with them for a while. It was a bad choice. And we had to sign all those albums. We had to sign all those albums so Rosario's mom could take them. So as a Josie fan who watched this event happening from across the other side of the world, absolutely frothing at the mouth, it was incredible to see Josie and the Pussycats as the number one trending topic in the world on the night of this reunion. For Mo, someone who had been as big a fan as any of us who have worked on this podcast or just listened to the show, it was a very special full circle moment. I saw it at the Roosevelt Field shopping mall. In, uh, in March of 2001, well, I actually have my concert ticket stub on my wall. Uh, uh, Rachel was very kind enough to sign it at the event. Hold on one sec. Yeah, I saw it on April 11th, it seems, according to the ticket. And that's the most full circle thing about that entire thing. I went and saw a movie almost 20 years ago. And then um, at the time it was 16 years ago. But, you know, and then I showed up to an event that, you know, these people who probably hadn't really seen each other um, in nearly that long. Uh, were standing in the same room and I was able to show proof that I was there day one, um, you know. And, you know, it was it was bizarre. I don't remember what drew me to the film because I don't really particularly remember the trailers and I don't particularly remember the marketing. 
um, I think I, I was just a person who went to the movies a lot, right? It was just like another thing. And I remember like the Scooby-Doo film had maybe come out around that period of time. I can't remember the order in which it happened, but I remember being like pleasantly surprised by Scooby-Doo. And I remember thinking, oh, well, you know, like they seem to get it, you know, like Josie and the Pussycats and Scooby-Doo, like that's pretty cool. Like that makes sense. Hanna-Barbera, those are things I grew up watching. Um, you know, if it's anything like the Scooby-Doo movie, like I'll feel like this weird little hybrid of nostalgia, but also because the Scooby-Doo movie was definitely very much like this ain't your, you know, your parents Scooby-Doo, that sort of thing. I felt like I was part of a like, yeah, this is tailored to me, the MTV generation or whatever, you know. Um, but I remember seeing it and walking out and just being like, that movie ruled. That, you know, like I had no idea that it was going to be that. You know, I didn't think that it was going to be this subversive, you know, you know, <laughs> uh, anti-consumerist, like, you know, sort of mass pop culture parody. Um, we actually, me and my friends, uh, Tom and Kevin, uh, who we, I saw it for a second time later that same week, um, were both just sort of like, damn, that movie rules. And then just went on about our ways and then realized very quickly that that movie was considered both poorly reviewed and uh, a financial disappointment. And uh, it, it kind of shocked us, quite frankly. I remember just thinking like, oh man, that's like such a shame. No one really talks about how great this movie is. Well, now we're talking about it. Hal, we've been talking about it for two months. And after a full year's worth of work, research, interviews, traveling all over the world, transcribing interviews, hustling contacts, it has been an absolute joy getting to pour as much love and professionalism as we could into these six full episodes, six bonus episodes, and more than 40,000 words online where we have posted written versions of this and every episode. Vastly more professionalism than we often do for anything else. Much more professionalism than when we started this episode, our very last episode. We wanted to bookend it with just a fucking train wreck. So, so glad, so glad we got that for us. And I guess, you know, for the very last time, this episode of Josie and the Podcasts was researched, written and presented by me, Maria Lewis. And produced by me, Blake Howard. Our podcast artwork was done by the talented Amy Reed, who you can find on Instagram at, at ai.me.me or via email at amy.reed0310 at gmail.com. And our jerkin theme, the legend, Amanda Wilkinson, collabed with Edwin Organ. Amanda Wilkinson, of course, is from Operator Please and Bossy Love. And if you love her Bossy Love episode, her latest album, Me Plus You, is out now. Thank you so much for listening to this and every episode. Thank you to all the journalists and websites and magazines who have given a shit about the show. Thank you so much. And written up some of the news that we've broken on here, plus interviewed us about why we care so much. Uh, A huge thank you to all of our incredible guests who we called and spoke to at a whole stack of random hours internationally. Fucking visited (laughs) IRL, mate. (laughs) Visited in real life. On boats. Um, um, (laughs) Literally. Used used friends of friends. Like, you know, one one of our dear friends, Kat Corbett, who's uh, the narrator on Incurrent Vice, is friends with Kay Hanley. And Kay Hanley, we we contacted Kay through there. And I don't think Kay would mind uh, us sharing this, but she just goes, she sent Maria and I an email and said, I hear you're looking for me. <laughs> I totally <laughs> forgot about that. Be- I was like, like where my- is this tangent <laughs> going? It was one of my favorite moments of the whole thing because it was like, we got Kay We got him! Yes. Yeah. It was so rad. wonderful. <laughs> so wonderful. Thank, so, yeah, I mean, I guess on that note, thanks so much to all the guests who are so generous with their time and who responded to emails and calls and heard we were doing this and reached out to us and, 
you know, we're weird ass Aussies from the other side of the world. Yeah, so and thanks, for, a lot. thanks for some of our guests for inviting us to their shows. <laughs> yeah, in the Charlie in Bliss. Charlie Bliss <laughs> invited us to their show the night of our interview. It's just been incredible. And uh, like, I genuinely, I know you just like just whatever with compliments, but um, it's been an honor to watch you work. This has been incredible. Uh, at the end of my uh i would say fairy tale uh ending to the one heat minute production um one heat minute i like I, I felt this sort of sense of transcendence but no one was there watching me and me watching you do this thing that's meant so much to you and like pour all of your talent and all of your sort of like all of the you that is now and all of your talented writing skills and interviewing skills and transcribing skills and production it's been super impressive and um it's been really fun to produce across from you until next time <laughs> <laughs> Until never again, because she can't take a compliment. Who's a rock star? Josie in the podcast.